Greetings, dear listeners. Before we get started, a reminder to head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and consider becoming a paying subscriber if you're not one yet. You'll get access to, among other things, the full conversation, as well as other subscriber-only benefits. And don't forget to give us a like and review on your favorite podcast app. With all that out of the way, on to the show. Anyway, happy birthday. Thanks, How's man. How's it feel? Um, you know, uh, state of reflection, you know, thinking yeah. ahead. I feel pretty good about things, actually. It's a good moment. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, starting a new job, which I don't know if our dealer, all of our dear listeners will be aware of, but yeah, that's a big part of, like, the coming era, I suppose. Big change for me. Yeah. I'm so. leaving. I'm leaving the country today for about a week, and I think by exactly when I come back, you're going to be at the office. I think that's that's yeah. sort of the thing. Yeah. Wait, are we? Rec- is this for everyone, or just just you and me shooting the shit? <laughs> I don't know. To be decided, I guess. Yeah, to be decided. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I guess that brings us to the lost sense of wonder or our efforts to regain wonder. Yeah, which is what you wrote about recently in your Monday note. And I just tweeted this out because I was rereading it. And I think I said something like, uh, I'm rereading it again. And I'm in awe at just how wonderful this piece is. Like, I honestly think I honestly think it's like one of the best things I've read this year. Thanks, man. And um, that's not that's not false praise because you write a lot of Monday notes and I don't, you know, the, most of them are really good. Let me just say one thing. <laughs> when you first said Monday note, I heard mundane note. And now when you said it the second time in the same context of you often, you write many mundane notes. I was like, that's right. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But like, anyway, you really hit it out of the park. And maybe just for our dear listeners and viewers and readers, say a little bit about, because I actually don't know exactly what made you, you wrote something a little bit more personal, something where, and also I just have to say like, you could, you have sort of what Ben Judah has, or mm. one might twist, you know, turn that around. Ben Judah has some of what you have. And we had been on about his new book a couple months back, This Is Europe, which I actually just thought was remarkable, a remarkable feat of writing. And there's something evocative about the way sentences can be structured. And it makes me think that both you and Ben Judah like, are capable of writing novels. Like if you ever decided that you wanted to just try your hand at that, I think you could do that because it felt to me like, yeah, it was just really great storytelling. I know that you don't really read novels, so that's probably not so that's a problem happen. for <laughs> problem for writing a novel. Yeah, that said, you don't the, really don't listen to podcasts, form. but you that's do co-host too. one, so it's clearly true. it's possible. To... <laughs> yeah, so t- tell us about your sense of wonder, how you lost it, and how it was regained by looking well, at a meteor shower. Yeah, look, um, I really—that's really high praise. Uh, 
you know, uh, citing Ben Judah, uh, who I admire very much. The other person, you know, just for our dear listeners, I know I lent you his book. I don't know if you've made it through yet, but uh, our, you know, your future colleague, my colleague right now, David Vondrelia, I think has this incredible gift of how, of just, you know, writing yeah. in this style. And actually, like, you know, just working with, with DVD, as we call him, is a, uh, uh, it's been inspirational to me just sort of to, you know, the way he crafts his just short essays is just wonderful. He had a, he had an essay, um, I don't know how many weeks ago at this point. Um, but I don't know if you saw this, there was a, um, there was a man who had like cut off the top of the side of his car and there was like a large bull <laughs> riding a shotgun on his car. A and, bull? And like the- a bull. Yeah. A full oh. bull. Oh, okay. Like, an, an animal, a huge an animal, animal bull. And he had cut off the side of his car, and he was like riding shotgun sidecar in this car. He was driving his bull around. And I don't know. It was just like this really weird story. And 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 uh, Vondrelia just wrote a, a wonderful column just about this is America. <laughs> check it that was out. so okay, so good. Cool. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, how did I get to write this? I mean, you know, uh, actually. It, you and I and Rachel were out. Like, that was the, the um, um, I guess it was like two weeks ago or something like that. We had just gone to a bar. And actually, I was talking to Rachel about it outside. It was the, it was the friend who I mentioned at the beginning. Um, and she reflected at first, like, oh, you know, look at all these people. And then I said, you know, what I said. It's like, yeah, I used to feel that sort of energy. And she was like, yeah, me too. It's like it's sort of gone. Um, so that got me to thinking. And I think I mentioned it to you as well. But... <sighs> You know, the, it's something, it's not, the essay didn't come out of nowhere. I've been sort of like going into this stuff, uh, you know, even on that essay, I think it was the essay talking about um, spirituality, uh, had like all that stuff about the sublime and things like that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think, I think it's, I guess what I'm trying to work out in all of this is um, maybe a vocabulary to talk about this stuff that doesn't necessitate organized religion or even spirituality or even like universality of some sort of um uh a sense of you know transcendent meaning i think i think what i'm trying to do in a lot of these essays what i'm trying to get at is that one can perfectly well structure um a sense of meaning on the personal level without recourse to those other things and I guess hmm. that's where this essay is coming from. Um, that, and this is not to begrudge people organized religion and the desire, uh, you know, the belief that that feeling of of comfort, that feeling of meaning, that comes from God. But I think what I'm trying to do is is sort of come up with a vocabulary for structuring a personal meaning without recourse to that. And I think it maybe it's even in some sort of way a reaction to like this podcast that you and I've been sort of having these conversations before. Um, I think you've pressed me every so often is like, you know, why do you do anything? I think <laughs> you've said, you know, when, when I've, I've come at you in a, in a particularly sort of nihilist way. And I guess this is sort of my, my attempts to sort of try to answer that, like meaning on a personal level um, without recourse to like the bigger questions necessarily. I don't know. Does that make sense? No, that's fascinating. I actually didn't know that, this is part of like a larger intellectual project. I mean, I get the sense that you've been, you know, grappling with some of these questions and trying to like figure out a way to respond 
because I do push you on this a lot. Yeah. And I feel like oftentimes in the past I've pushed you and we kind of hit a wall a little bit. And then you you sort of fall back on nihilism or irony or like dark, dark humor. And, and so but it sounds like there. OK, there's something deeper going on here. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know. Wh- but what do you what do you, do you you know, does does that resonate in the sense that like, you know. I feel like the the question for like religious people is a sense of doubt often, right? Um, that 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 faith on the one hand, and then that gnawing sense of doubt about one's faith. Like everyone has dark moments and is not sure yep. of things. And I guess, like maybe this is my answer to that: is that one doesn't need to be necessarily worried about that and one can still find comfort in that sort of existence in the moment i guess is what it comes down to i mean you meditate i mean it's probably the same sort of thing i mean it's from the same sort of insights and meditation doesn't need to necessarily lead to god or anything like that right true i mean the app the meditation app that i use is certainly not very god friendly because i use sam harris's waking up app and i even went on Sam Harris's podcast to kind of discuss how I, as a Muslim, use his meditation practice. And I think he, you know, he was surprised, maybe even pleasantly surprised that someone like me can sort of embrace what he's trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but But I do think that when you talk about being in the moment, and I think, you know, the kind of cliche being present. Yeah. I feel like generally speaking, you wouldn't you don't love that kind of language because it right. sounds what's the right word it's it's too it's too obvious and it's like being present it's like new agey almost so i'm surprised that you're just sort of maybe leaning into that kind of language of being in the moment and being present and living living your truth or something well no you didn't you say know- living <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I think that was that's again. It's part of what I'm, what I was trying to do in this essay was to try and come up with a vocabulary that doesn't get into that. You know, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, and you I don't, don't use I, that in the piece. Yeah, I don't think I use living in the anything moment or anything like, like that. that. No, anything no. like that. I mean, I, I, I was sort of careful about that. It's, it's maybe it's also a way. It's not so much the new agey part that's that like maybe you know um, hits a sour spot for me. It's more maybe that question of um the self i think that's what a lot of the sort of like new age meditation stuff ends up ends up getting at you know like it's it's still very uh individualistic in a way and um i that's not where i'm coming from i don't think you know Mm. it's it's i mean again you know sort of as i've said before in the podcast like language and other things just forces us to 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 talk in terms of self and i and and these sorts of relations but that's not what i'm getting at at all you know so it's not mm. about like let yourself go let your mind go you know etc cetera, etc cetera. it's 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 more about i don't know um finding these these uh these moments i guess is really what it is and i i think it, that by and large that you know where i sort of land on the essay uh those moments can be experienced i think 
with close friends doing things um and in nature um i think that well, there's the nature something part of, i'm i'm glad you yeah. mentioned because there's there's a passage in your piece that I actually just like loved and I'll just read it here for listeners. Okay. This is Demir. His voice, his right, his words. Writerly voice. I used to sail regularly with my parents and being out on the sea was a bomb. B-A-L-M. The bomb <laughs> was the bomb. the bomb on the water. You see that nature has patterns too, and you do well to recognize and heed them. Once you fall into nature's rhythm, however, a kind of peace envelops you. But the uncertainty of the sea and its capacity for unpredictable violence is ever-present. It's a constant reminder of nature's endless stock of the sublime, the truly astonishing, and a reminder that disenchantment is the product of civilization. That's good. That's good stuff right there. Um, but throughout your piece, you also talk about friends and loved ones, and you keep on coming back to this isn't about the self, yeah. that there is actually something very important to you about um, being with the people that you that you care about. Um, let's see. Oh, this is... Mm. Okay, you say this. To live is to hold on to enchantment. Friends and loved ones are critical. They are our comfort and our measure. It's through experiencing things with them that we know that we are in the world and not just trapped alone in some never-ending dream. Parentheses. I'm not terribly prone to loneliness, but without my people around me, I think my sanity would start to go. Then you go on and... And shared memories, unlike new experiences, don't seem to dull. Even if some details get foggy with time, that sense of the moment and the accompanying emotions remain vivid. So you, you know where that came from? It's So the essay started with that conversation with Rachel and then a subsequent brief conversation with you on the same topic about this, this question of, of wonder and excitement when you're younger. And... Um, but then it went on to something else is like i i've I've started doing photography more uh and actually trying to take pictures of you guys and sort of have ambitions to you know i don't know just do portraits more as as photography it's just sort of something I've never done um and uh and it's weird i i i I went back and looked at you know sort of my hobby uh over the years and I noticed that more often than not there's just not people there are no people in any of the photos. Mm. And even friends, just like they're not there. And it's, you know, a conscious, semi-conscious, subconscious decision. I don't know. Uh, probably a mix of all of those uh, for, for taking photos. But then I noticed that, like, I did have a couple of photos of friends, um, you know, from, uh, like, when I got my first digital camera. Like, um, and they are, they are just, they are sort of headshots. And I remember vaguely that I took them like around Mount Pleasant. I think we were in someone's, uh, it was like some outdoor party in Mount Pleasant, and I had my camera, and I was just like taking those headshots. So I don't remember any of the details of the party, uh, but all of a sudden, just those headshots reminded me of uh, that group of friends and um, just exactly that moment in time. Even if I don't remember the details of that moment in time, yeah. it reminded oh. me of that period of my life and those people. Some of whom I'm still in touch with, uh, some of whom I actually 
I really ought to reach out to after, you know, having that, that reflective moment. It's uh, just sort of reminded me of our, our, our good friendship uh, back then. And I, I realized that that, that was, again, that, that, that part, that, that realization came from going through my photos, seeing faces of people uh, who are and were close to me. Um, and then remembering that snapshot in time, not again in any detailed way, but but almost in a fuller way that where the details don't matter. Hmm. And it was juxtaposing that moment to um, another sort of broad memory of that excitement in one's twenties when one's going out all the time, and um, it's exciting. Things are just you know humming, electric, hmm. and that's gone away. And I don't miss that. And what is valuable, looking backwards, is not that excitement, but is that, are those moments and those recollections of friends, a friend group, what we were all about, a shared sort of moment that, like, that comes back more fully. Um, hmm. And so that's, that's basically that, you know? I mean, it's, it's, uh, um, it's, it's remembering uh, that, and it's not even, you know... Uh, friends on vacation. Oh, let's take a selfie. Let's take a, a photo of, of that. It's it's more intentional that than that. I think it's it really is something about about capturing not a memory but a moment in time. I guess is what I'm getting. Yeah. At. Um, well, and well, let me ask you that. Mm. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, when you take so you've been taking portraits recently of of mutual friends um like uh you know Rachel Rizzo and and Christine and that's i guess a, you know a new thing yeah and and okay so take take Rachel uh, <laughs> i feel yeah take Rachel for example i mean obviously you guys have been very close friends for a long time does something new or different about someone's being there their aura like come out when you're able to focus a lens on them. I mean, tell me more about like what that's like and what you learn about friends through portraiture. Well, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm actually keen to start taking pictures of people I don't know. Uh, now this is a different sort of pivot from, uh, from the friend point earlier. Uh, I have this idea uh, that I hope to sort of develop, which is, you know, trying to, interview people and then like take their their photos at the same time and i think that there's something interesting there hmm. um that you know i mean christine and rachel came over they both needed headshots so we just sort of were were you know for professional reasons and i'm sort of learning learning the craft of trying to do that so they came over but like you know we had we had dinner and it sort of hung out for a while and after a while it just sort of uh i don't know everyone loosened up um, so whatever, I have like probably 600 shots of my friends, some goofy, <laughs> some, uh, you know, some serious, some just like playing with the light and trying to do that. Um, but it also reminded me actually is that, you know, of those 600, there's probably, I don't know, four or five keepers, uh, for each of them. But I, I do think that I will at some point, like, you know, a decade down the line, I'll stumble across those and I won't remember you know, whether it was uh, what was going on necessarily. But I will remember that night because it was just fun and easy and friends hanging out. 
and it will remind me of this broader period, like very broadly, uh, because they are in my life now and that that sort of thing. So I guess that's that's what that is. I don't think it's 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 really getting by training a lens on someone that you get at their soul or something like that. I, I don't I don't feel anything like that. It's it's just that that um, I it was this juxtaposition of seeing my friends from, you know, 10, 15 years ago and these very, uh, you know, unstructured uh, set of portraits that I took almost by accident. Um, and then this experience with Christine and Rachel. And I was like, aha, you know, I'll look back on this and I'll remember this again. Probably not a lot of the details, but I remember broadly this moment in my life as a result. And it's mm. encapsulated in these sorts of photos uh, will be, you know, just that sort of broad memory of this of this time. And that's mm. that's somehow inherently of value to me, you know? Um, yeah. And it's 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 of value because that is what's important about life is friendships and relationships. It's it's not it's not achievements. Um, it's not salvation. It's not progress. It's not any of those things. It's, it's just like a good moment of one's life well lived with people that are good. That's it. And a good, not with like moral necessarily transcendent sort of implications, but just good people that are good for me and good to me and we're good to each other, you know? And I suppose that should be enough. Should be. I think it, I think it can be. Put it that Why way. do you think for so many people it isn't enough? Um, well, I mean, obviously, uh, a lot of people are driven to have children. Uh, I think that's part of it. Um, and if that's a, an important drive, well, you know, obviously friends can't give you that. Um, I don't know. You tell me what's, uh, what's, 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 what else is, is, is missing? Like, it's it's an interesting question what drives people to success and to achieve you know uh there's it's that sort of commonplace um observation that you know the most successful people certainly the most successful politicians uh have some kind of hole in their lives that they're trying to uh fill like they 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 either need they feel like they need to prove something to themselves you know you can do the sort of that like Again, sort of allergic to it, but I'll in, indulge in it anyway. That sort of armchair psychologizing, you know, something with parents living up to expectations, um, daddy issues, mommy issues, whatever. Um, but I don't know. Like, why isn't it enough, Shadi? Tell me. Can it be enough? <laughs> so when I look back at pictures of you know, different moments of my life with close friends. I mean, it's it's usually like a, it's positive, obviously, but there's also a kind of bittersweetness that like those moments have passed. They can't be recovered. And sometimes you try to recover those moments and you go back to the places that you remembered with the people that you shared those moments in the past with and you can't recapture the feeling that you had. Um, and this is the you know mistake sometimes people make when they um, they try to give a like so a relationship that ended years ago and then the two people in question try try again and they try to recover the magic and they think that 
now that they're in a better place, they can come together and things will be just as they were, but this time it'll last. And there's something almost like sad about like the failure of being able, like you, you know, you, it's almost there, but it's elusive because there was something about that moment in time that just can't be replicated no matter what you do. And this is why generally I don't like going to the same the same, um, you know, destination, you know, when you're traveling and you think, oh, I just had like that time that I was in Corsica was the most like that was the most amazing trip. Um, I did actually go to Corsica again and it was pretty amazing the second time around. So maybe that's <laughs> not a good example. But like you go the second time and often t and often it you, you'll be let down because there is something special about the first time. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the sadness of, like, as we get older and, you know, maybe, you know, we drift apart to some to some extent because that's not inevitable. I mean, you can, or at the very least, you won't see people as much as you used to. I just wonder, will those pictures evoke a kind of, a kind of, maybe sadness isn't the right word, but a sense of something being lost? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a good point. It's it's interesting though. Um, why wouldn't it just um, evoke a, a happiness and that you can relive that moment in your head, and with a full knowledge, it'll never come back. That you're in a different place and and they're in a different place. That's one point. Just a thought. Uh, you know, on on I I think I think on relationships. Um, I I don't think I've ever tried to like recreate one. Um, I do think that 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 those things either work or don't in the moment, and any relationship, romantic relationships, we're talking about not not necessarily friendships, romantic relationships. I mean, it's like it's it's kind of luck uh, that like two people are you know compatible, like open to each other at the same moment, at the same moment in time, and then come together, and then it works or inevitably doesn't. Um, and I, you know, I mean, of course, one can roll the dice again, uh, but it's it's just another roll of the dice at that point. And maybe mm. you know the the numbers will come up better the second time. And you know, there are, anecdotally that's happened uh, for people. But it's it's you know, I guess I guess what it, what doesn't fully resonate with me in your description is this idea of of recapturing it. I, I do feel like my attitude towards the past is that it's gone, but one can one can still remember it. And it's remembering that is, and memory that is uh, valuable, maybe, you know? As to visiting places again and again, um, that sort of reminds me a little bit of, like, the, this whole question of, you know, when you're younger and going out to bars, like, you're, you're collecting experiences to a certain extent. You're, you're like, oh, and then, you know, it, it, it starts getting repetitive, and you're like, well, yeah, this is not it. But even even as you were saying about Corsica, that that's a place that sort of captured your your um your imagination. So you went back and the second time was also good and was still that. I mean, in a sense, you know, I go back to see my folks, uh, and it's um it's largely because of them that I go back, but you know, I I also like my hometown of Zadar where, uh, you know, they have a home. And, um, you know, even, uh, I imagine I'll, I'll 
keep going back there, you know, my whole life. Now, one can say there's some sentimentality, so, oh, I was born there, but that's not it. It's just like a nice place that's like nice to visit and spend time in. So maybe there's a, there's a, there's a parallel there between um, collecting experiences and then, you know, you don't want to re re repeat it and maybe some sort of sadness that comes with that. And then a different sort of attitude towards place and location and experience, which is, okay, the world is a big place. I've seen a lot of it. Uh, a lot of it is incredible and worth seeing once and maybe twice, but there are some places that feel like home and yeah. you're going to want to spend time there. And maybe Corsica is like that for you. And, you know, you'll find yourself in 10 years, you know, uh, after your, your, your best-selling fiction novel uh, <laughs> makes you millions that you buy like a really nice piece of property in Corsica and, and, and spend more time there because it's, you've somehow connected with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, so, so it's, it's, Again, I, it's it's um, that's I think gets also something at this this notion of like meaning and meaningful experience that maybe I'm trying to sort of get at, you yeah. know, that doesn't yeah. necessarily entail sadness, uh, or at least shouldn't. Shouldn't. So I mean, I'll, can I'll just, obviously can. can. Yeah. Well, let me add something to this. Uh, I'm just thinking now, out loud. I mean, the places that I lived in. So here I'm thinking in particular about Qatar and Jordan. Mm. I I lived in Jordan for about a year and a half, and I lived in Qatar for four years. And I have generally avoided going back. And the one or two times I did go back just as a visitor, I definitely remember feeling like a real sense of loss. Like these were my homes. These were places I really developed a strong connection to, but then to go back and the restaurants that you used to go to, many of them just aren't there anymore. They've changed or closed down. And you associate those restaurants with the friends that you had at the time and they're gone, especially in these transient places where a lot of us were expats and you go back and it just, it's unrecognizable. You see all these new people and they've moved on. They're part of a different era than the one that you were part of. And I guess like that to me, like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to go back to Qatar. I mean, I'll, I'm sure I'll go there if, I'm, if there's like compelling reason for me to go, but it's going to be, there's going to be something hard about it because there are still very vivid and strong memories. And I guess I, I guess I'm more sensitive to that than maybe, maybe you are that some of those well, things are painful. Well, but, but look, uh, it's interesting just the way you describe Qatar and restaurants closing. Uh, you and I were just talking the other day about, uh, what was probably the best restaurant in DC having closed yeah. Poca Madre. Um, and, um, and DC is, 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 uh, epitomizes the transient city i mean i think True. i think one of the the interesting things about uh about sort of our core group of friends here in dc is that we've somehow chosen to stick around but i do think most people's experience of dc is one of you know either coming here earlier in life um and um you know, cycling through a job and then going off to something else, making some very close friends of other people from all around the country and the world that have come through here. And then they cycle out. 
and it's gone. And restaurants change a lot here too. You know, like we don't have Poca Madre anymore and we do mourn mm. it. But, but, but I, I mean, again, I don't mourn it. I, I just remember those fantastic meals. Like what an incredible thing. I'm sorry we can't do it again because it was, <laughs> it was so tasty. But, um, but again, you know, I mean, those were also fantastic nights. I, I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is that like, you know, uh, I, I, uh, I'm not like terribly fond of DC as a place, you know, like I'm, I'm fond of my, my friends and, and the, the kind of work and jobs that are available here. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I'll certainly be sentimental about that. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, I mean, I think I had a, a line in there about, about friendship as well though. Right. It's, it's, uh, friendships over time deepen, uh, they only dissipate through neglect. And yes. so that's the other part. Which is, um, you know, uh, you're right. I, I think people do drift apart after a while. And part of that's inevitable. Part of that has to do with families and, and you know, like changing priorities, job takes you away, all the rest of that. That's just normal. That just sort of happens. Um, but, you know, like, I don't know, a lot of my friends from grad school, um, a lot, lots maybe a strong word, but a, a core group of my friends from grad school, I'm, I'm still very much in touch with. Um, and that was, those friendships were formed, uh, primarily because, you know, I went to grad school at Johns Hopkins Sice and the first year was in Italy. And that year in Italy was such a cauldron. It bonded so many of us so closely together, um, because you're just sort of thrown into this. And can you imagine in Italy, which is such an incredible place to spend a year, um, yeah. with, uh, the food, the restaurants, you know, you're in grad school, you're learning Italian, you're doing another language all of it all at once and with just like a uh, a group of strangers all very bright from all around the world um all sort of focused on the same thing i mean it's just it, it creates bonds now you know um there are people in that group that i have lost touch with um and that's regrettable but that's on us you know for for doing that like that's that's neglect um so i guess you know i would maybe say that I regret the neglect um, and that, you know, life is such that it makes it difficult to be able to do that. Like you can, you can reach out and have like a really good conversation with someone and sort of catch up. But then it's like, oh, you know, one of my friends lives in Sweden now. And I'm like, you know, she's like, oh, when are you coming to Sweden? You know, come visit me and my family. And I'm like, ah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. But then I don't because I don't go to Sweden very frequently. And I, I've, I've yet to sort of tack on a trip, you know, to, uh, to Sweden when I'm in Europe. And that's just neglect. That's just, that's that. And that's regrettable. But none of the rest of it is regrettable to me. I don't regret the fact that I did go back to Bologna, Italy, you know, uh, with a different group of friends just for, you know, sort of a long weekend. And, uh, you know, I walked around and saw the places, some changed and, you know, a whole different group of people. I wouldn't say it was sad at all. I don't think I was, I was, I was particularly sad about it. It was just sort of, you know, uh, the city's still here. There was almost something comforting about that. Like the city is still here and people are doing similar things in it that I remember. And then it was also an experience of sort of going back and trying to recreate foggy senses of remembrances of doing this, that, or the other thing. And I was like, oh, is that still here? I forgot where in the city that was. That's a small walkable city. So, you know, spend the day just sort of wandering around yeah. trying to recreate it. I don't know. I, that's sort of a rambling answer, but it's 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 not it's not again sadness. It's meaning, you know, to me. I guess is how I'm framing it. Yeah, 
So I, I want to get to your question of why isn't it enough, at least, yeah. you know, why I'm I'm maybe less persuaded and maybe struggle with this a little bit more. But before that, I, I do want to make sure we talk about your experience with the meteor. <laughs> there was a meteor that you actually took some kind of tech. I, what did you take? What do you do to watch a meteor? Well, no, nothing. I mean, it was a meteor shower. It was like maybe about a month ago, I think, uh, the Perseid meteor shower. And honestly, I don't, I'm not like a big star watcher or anything like that. It was just sort of in the news. And uh, it looked like it was going to be a clear night. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'm going to go try and find a place outside of DC. It doesn't have light pollution, so you can actually see the night sky. Um, so uh, went out to Shenandoah uh, near Sperryville. Right? There's actually a map you can look up which shows you how light pollution works, like where hmm. you can see the clear night sky. And it was the closest place to DC uh, that had like low levels of light pollution, though it could, it's still light polluted. You can still see sort of the glow of DC in the background. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I took my camera and tried to take photos. I'd never done it before. I realized quickly that, you know, you've seen shooting stars. It's like maybe a second. It just goes like, yeah. And the thing about like, as soon as you see it, it's too late. So basically, when you're taking photos or trying to take photos of meteors, you have to get really lucky. You have to basically have clicked to take a picture of the sky like a split second before the thing shoots, and then you'll capture it. So I mm. didn't capture anything on, on, on camera. Um, so I was like playing around for a while, and I saw a handful of these shooting stars, and then I just like gave up taking photos. Um, and uh, yeah, just like laid back in the grass, and it was like the craziest thing I've ever seen. You know, after seeing these like several of these small shooting stars and being like, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, this was big. This was like a big one. You know, if, if, a if a shooting star on the sky looks like a, a fine, uh, you know, ballpoint pen marker on a, on a thing, I would say this was kind of like a, a Sharpie or something like that, you know, that much mm. thicker. And like right above me, it, it was like, I think it was like purple orange. And it, it, it just like went, just over my head like that. Um, and the, the craziest thing is that I could, I could just hear a crackling sound as it did it, like fire burning. It was like, <sighs> and didn't explode or anything like that, but just like heard that. And then it disappeared, just like went like that. Um, and it was crazy. It was a, it was a crazy moment um, because you can't hear shooting stars. You know, they're, they're, they're far enough away. I think I've read that, that even if they were making some kind of thing, the sound wouldn't, the sound would, uh, travel much slower than light. So, like, it just, you wouldn't even correspond with it. You know, you'd probably see it first and then hear something if it was, like, impacting or, or doing anything. But there was a sound. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was just, like, that moment of wonder. Uh, and that's the question of nature. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's surprising and sort of inexplicable. And that yeah. was just that, that question of the sublime, you know? Like, let terror, me share that passage. Awe. That yeah, cap sure. that it's really wonderfully put. Okay. Demir says, writes, It's impossible to hear a meteor, you might say. The internet says it's maybe not impossible, but I certainly thought I had experienced the impossible just after it happened. No friends were with me, so I couldn't ask if they had heard anything, and my camera was put away at that point, so I had no visual proof. It was a solid dose of reenchantment, one that I desperately needed. So I, I, I do want to, I'm, I'm curious about, you're saying that it's impossible to hear a meteor. 
yet you're you're claiming that you heard it yeah i just want to i want to unpack that like how how is that possible like i said i mean i i forget if i linked to the internet there uh i i you know as i was writing the piece i was like that's nuts what happened like is there anything um is there and you're sure you're 100 percent sure you heard it well again like i i remember <laughs> hearing it I, I'm here telling you that I remember hearing, hearing it. it. It's possible that you created a, you fashioned a memory of hearing it. But what's the, what's the, you know, in, we're talking about memory here. So, I mean, it's possible that I'm going senile and I completely hallucinated <laughs> something. It's, I mean, I, you know what I mean? Like it, I, I, I'm not, I'm not denying that possibility. Um, but what's the use of that? I mean, we can, we can speculate on whether like, you know, I, Okay, so you know that it's it's an interesting question because uh, I I don't think it matters, and that's that again. It's it's getting into that question of experience, you know, um, what's real? Well, I don't know. It's it's always mediated through what we think is what we think we're experiencing. Like, yeah, what's what's out there versus what's not. I'm telling you what what happened to me, um, and I guess you know when you get into questions like UFOs and stuff like that, and people claiming they got abducted and you know had anal probes inserted in them by my aliens and whatever like i guess i guess you want to figure out whether that's real or not but i guess but i guess it doesn't matter ultimately um unless yeah we're worried about alien invasion then it matters but like i i, I guess you know i'm just not that uh it's not that important um whether it happened or not like the link on the internet says that you know there have been reports of this for a long time, and scientists for uh, for a long time dismissed it uh, for the reasons I said. You know, like sound travels slower than light, and like you wouldn't hear a meteor anyway. But then they've speculated that there's some like electromagnetic, which electromagnetism apparently travels as fast as light, and that that could, you know, especially if you're lying back in the grass, that some some electromagnetism could somehow through I don't know what it's in the link in the in the article. Yeah. I'm not a scientist, but. So it's possible, presumably, it's possible for those people that are concerned about reality. But uh, all I can say is it was unexpected. Um, from what little I knew of meteors, I didn't think it was possible. And it was, it's, it was that sort of moment of humbling, which, you know, where you're just out there in the quiet, there's no one, um, and, uh, and something happens. You're like, wow, what was that? I have no idea. That's it for part one, dear listeners. There's a lot more where that came from. If you're not yet a paying subscriber, please head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and become one. Help support our work. Hope to see you in the bonus.